0: Glad you're here with us this morning. Before we jump into the message, I just thought it might be good to acknowledge that there might be a little bit of uh, sadness these days in our hearts. I know my heart feels sad with all the different things that have been canceled and postponed. And so it might be just good to stop and pause and acknowledge that as my heart feels a little sad and it feels as though it's grieving uh, the loss of the potential of seeing you all and just kind of the things seem to be sort of stacking up. Uh, as you know you get your hopes up for things then they get taken away and so perhaps you feel that way this morning I know I do and so I've just been thinking a little bit about this idea of grief and uh, and the relationship that grief and gratitude have and my heart feels as though it's grieving uh, these days for not being able to see you all and normal life and all those sorts of things uh, But I've also just been really struck by the idea that if you're grieving, it means that there's something really good in your life that you miss. And if you're grieving, it means that there's something, there's something really good that isn't happening. There's something really beautiful that you wish was still true or uh, around. And so I actually feel really sad, but I also feel really grateful simultaneously. I feel really grateful that I have something to grieve. (laughs) I feel like quite grateful that there's a family that I miss so much. I feel really grateful that there's so many things I was looking forward to that aren't happening. Like, that's actually worth noting in my own heart. Going, oh, I miss a bunch of stuff, but hold on a second. I have a whole bunch of stuff to miss. Maybe that's a comforting thought for you. I don't know, (laughs) or maybe it doesn't help and it just rubs salt in the wound, but for me, I just am grateful that I have a family that I long to see. I'm grateful that I have something to fight for. And I'm also grateful that I have things that I'm still invited into, despite the weirdness of this time. And I'll I'll tell you what I think those things are. I think you and I are invited to be the church like never before. And actually, if you stop and think about it, uh, in the midst of the sadness and in the midst of the grief, there's also incredible opportunity, and I've been grateful for the reminder of uh, how important our individual obedience and faith is. I've been grateful for the reminder of the importance of uh, the everyday disciple being an everyday missionary in, in the everyday church, in the most micro form of the word church. I've been grateful for that being highlighted. And uh, so I would invite you to be the church these days and to be grateful for the opportunity that we have, and to be grateful for how much seems to be stripped away that sometimes prevents us from seeing our significance and our role in the church. So that's one. And then I'd also invite you to be grateful uh, for the fact that we still have much to to take advantage of, and you're still being invited into all sorts of things and the main goal of those things is to see you be loved and cared for and reminded of how much you belong and how, 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 fit, how much of a part of family you really are and they feel silly and only shades of what could be you know, Matt, Matt talked about the Christmas party that we have coming up obviously sitting in our living rooms isn't going to be quite the same as going down to South Hall and you know, having all, all, you know, all the festivities that are included with that I doubt we're going to have a dance party on Zoom. I don't know, who knows what happens, but I doubt it. There's some things that we grieve, Uh, but there's still a Christmas party and you're still invited. And I would invite you to make the most of it. Make the most of being invited into things. I was really looking forward to worshiping with you on November 29th. I was really looking forward to handing everybody their Christmas presents, (laughs) you know, at a church service. That was gonna be great. And now we gotta drive by a garage. (laughs) <laughs> to, uh, we got to drive by a garage and be handed something in our car. But you know what? We get to drive by a garage and be handed something in our car. And that's more than lots of folks can say. And so we do have much to be grateful for. We're still family. I really believe in you all to be who God's called you to be. And I really invite you to take advantage of the ways that uh, your leaders are still trying to serve you and love you. And so... I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to acknowledge the sadness and the grief these days. And I also want us to keep a chin up and um, understand that if we have eyes to see it, uh, perhaps gratitude could be deepened in ways that maybe only grief can. Uh, I submit that to you this morning. Maybe you can pray about that. But there is lots to look forward to, and I'm excited for whatever God lets us do. All right, so let's jump into our message for this morning. And we are still in our Established series and will be for a while. We're going through the whole Bible in 31 weeks and doing a top skim. And where we're at, uh, at this point in the story, is last week we talked about Joshua and now the Israelites are in the Promised Land. And we entered this period of Israel history. Israel's history uh, that's um, it's called the time of the Judges. Uh, and we can read about it in the book of Judges and what this time was. It's a time of a lot of rebellion and turmoil for the Israelites as they now have this promised land. They keep getting attacked by people, they, have, they keep rebelling, they keep falling victim to other gods, and what uh, Yahweh, God, has to do is keep um, anointing and raising up uh, what are known as judges that are sort of temporary uh, leaders for the people of Israel that lead them into victory in battle, for instance, like in the case of Gideon, or, um, or you know, have a word from the Lord. And uh, while these judges were alive, Israel was doing well, and then after they died, they'd fall back into rebellion again and get into all sorts of trouble. Um, so we need to pull a, a lesson from this today: is to you know what what is God teaching us in this idea of raising up leaders, and the and the leader the godly leadership godly leadership being directly correlated to the health of His people. So that's what we're going to talk about today. What's the role of authority in your and my life? What's the role of leaders? Uh, both God as a leader for us, but also human leaders that we have, mentors, people that are discipling us. What is the role of that, and what does that have to do with our growth and, um, and, uh, and our discipleship? So, we're going to start in Judges 2, verse 18, uh, and we're going to read 18 and 19, and it's going to unpack. Uh, it's a nice little summation of the time of the Judges, um, and it says this. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, the people of Israel, He was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. So what we see here is an ongoing cycle of rebellion, which leads to suffering, which then God raises up a judge that they submit to, and then they're blessed. Ah, but then the judge dies and they go right back to rebellion. So we see this cycle of rebellion, suffering, submission, blessing. Rebellion, suffering, submission, blessing. Maybe some of these arrows make more sense to you than others. Uh, Maybe some are intuitive and maybe some are a little bit of a question mark. Uh, For instance, one that makes sense to me is rebellion to suffering. I think we all have examples in our own lives where we've been rebellious, we've taken matter, matters into our own hands, where we've led our life in the way that we think it should go, where we've been selfish, and it leads to suffering and pain and sin and turmoil. Uh, you know, parents of teenagers can probably re- resonate with this as they have a firsthand view of watching someone rebel and it lead directly to suffering and pain and tears and all sorts of things. Uh, so that arrow seems to make sense to us. You know, even the cyclical arrow arrow of blessing leading back to rebellion, that one makes sense to me too. At times of plenty in my life, I tend to get a little lazy. Things tend to become more about me. I lose focus. Love sort of drifts away from my heart and rebellion seems to creep in in times of blessing. So I, I resonate with that one too. Everything's fine. And uh, you kind of get distracted and you get selfish. I I've I've noticed that one. There's one arrow that I want to draw your attention to, though, uh, that I think might be a little bit new for us this morning, and it's the one between suffering and submission. Do you, uh, do you, in the bottom of the pit when you're suffering, is a, f- is, <laughs> is a solution that comes to mind for you, shoot, I need to find a better leader. I need to submit to something better. Uh, you know... I've noticed that I've led my life into this place. I'm not a great leader, and I have some leadership issues. I have some submission issues. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty advanced thought. I think it's a deeply biblical one. I think it's a very profound one. But it's amazing how much that escapes us in the bottoms of the pits of our lives. Uh, I'm not quick to be humble in those moments and to have pride be highlighted in my life and go, I got myself here. I got myself here. You know what I need? I need to submit to something better. Uh, I think submission leading to blessing. Perhaps you've had examples of that in your life. You've had a good parent, a good teacher, a good mentor. That one makes that one makes a little more sense, although it's a bit of a pride gulp for sure. But in the bottom of the pit, when you're suffering to go, man, I need, I need to submit to someone. This is what we want to unpack today. So in order to have submission be a solution for our suffering, uh, like it was for, for the Israelites in the time of the judges, where the judges would go, look, I'm in, God's put me in charge, submit to me, follow me, and things are going to get better, and they did every time. Uh, I think that's still true for us, as God puts leaders in our life for a reason. Uh, chiefly him, of course, but also human leaders that really love us and serve us well. So we want to unpack today, if submission is going to be a solution for suffering, then we should probably chew on the word submission for a little bit, because it's not a commonly understood word, or at least it has a lot of connotations that it takes on a lot of different meanings. So here's the definition that I'd like to submit to you today of submission: is it's a it's a willingness to be led. Uh, emphasis on the word willingness. What it isn't, I don't think, is uh, just doing what you're told. I know the word I know the word submission is often used in that way, where it's like submit to me means just do what I say. I don't think that's a good, at least it's not a very robust definition of the word. And, and, I, and I would argue it's not really a very nuanced biblical one either. Submission, I think, is more of a heart posture. It's, it's saying, not only do I need to be led, I want to be led. Submitting to God is way more about heart posture than it is about just doing what you're told and following the rules and executing the plan perfectly. Because as, we, as we've talked about ad nauseum, you know, in our church, is God wants a relationship with you. So the idea that he would want you to submit to him for any other reason besides relationship doesn't make a lot of sense. But when we, we, we hear the word submit and we think of like, oh, oppression and abusiveness and rule keeping. Whereas I think of when God says submit to me, he's like, oh, I'm trying to save you. Uh, from your selfishness so that we can be in relationship so the word willingness I really like because it speaks of our it speaks of our desire to be in relationship with a person more than it does of you know tell me what to do so there's a couple just observations of the word submission that I'd like to make and the first one is it's a heart posture of humility so uh, <laughs> here's here's what I think maybe this is helpful for you I think submission is the word that we use for humility in a hierarchical relationship. I know it's a bit of a mouthful, so I'll unpack what I mean. Uh, submission and humility are super strongly correlated. And I think the word humility, we throw around a lot, we get what that means. I would love to redeem the word submission by having an equal humility inside of a relationship that has a power dynamic that has hierarchy built into it. If you submit to a leader it means you are humble enough to be in relationship with them. Does that make sense? Um, If you are submitted to someone it speaks of your humility to be led, your desire for relationship, your desire to have pride in your heart die, your desire to be part of something bigger than yourself, your desire to be close. But. It's tricky to be humble in relationships that are hierarchical when someone's further ahead of you. Our pride does rise up. But here's the thing is uh, uh, if if we have leaders and their intention is to actually help us follow Jesus better, then we need to have a heart posture of humility and perhaps submission to leadership could be one of the most important ways that are, that we learn how to be humble. So that's observation number one that I'd like to, I'd like to. I'd love for the word submission and humility to be more closely related in our minds when we use these words. The second one is that uh, a willingness, a willingness to be led, also puts our own wills at stake. It puts our own desires at stake, and this makes sense because if you uh, need a new, better life leader, and y- your leadership of your life has and your rebellion has gotten you into a place of suffering, it would make sense that the leader that you now submit to is trying to bring you away from what your will was (laughs) and your will often when I'm left to my own devices is quite selfish and quite sinful. And so it does put our own wills at, at stake and it's a very vulnerable thing to go, Hmm, I'm actually surrendering my will in this moment, surrendering what makes most sense to me in a moment. Jesus, of course, is our example for this, where he submitted to his father's will all the time and he put his own will at stake, so to speak. Uh, he would always say, "I only see what I, I only do what I see my Father doing. not my will, but your will be done." Uh, it's kind of weird to talk about Jesus's will being separate from God's, because in many ways it wasn't. They were perfectly one. But this is the hope that, we have, that this is the hope for Jesus for, for us and God is that we would be one like Him and the Father are one which is crazy, which means that we actually have to put our own wills at stake, so to speak, in the same way that Jesus did. Uh, so that we can be one with the Father and be led by Him into love and relationship. So how, how comfortable are you with putting your own will at stake? Submission submission, sounding a little harder now. So uh, this is why I think that putting our own will at stake is important. Is because nothing humbles us and nothing, nothing will humble us like having our will be made secondary to somebody else's. Doing somebody else's plan. Uh, following somebody else, uh, following somebody else's ideas, being led into health and wholeness by somebody else—that'll put your pride at stake for sure, and your self-interest. It's a good way to eradicate it. The third observation of a willingness to be led is, I think, it highlights whose kingdom you're building. Now, uh, here's what I mean by that. I think sometimes we we look at our lives and go, like, do I even need a leader? Like things are going okay. do I need to submit myself to to Jesus as the primary leader of my life, like really the primary leader of my life, or do I really need to follow some senior pastor somewhere? do I really need to buy into his or her vision you know like I whoever's leading you, your D group leader, you know his or her ideas do they do they really matter to me uh so <laughs> this is what this is what I I resonate with that because a lot of the time I look at my life and I'm like, I don't really need leadership. Like if, if I'm, when I'm left to my own devices, I can build a decent life on my own, I think, but it depends on whose kingdom you're building. If you're building your own kingdom, I would argue that other leaders are just going to get in the way of that because they're going to lead you into something bigger than yourself. Most likely they're going to be caring about you, but they're also going to be caring about something else. They're going to be caring about you, but they're also going to be caring about others because the, the world's bigger than you. And they're, trying to, they're probably trying to love you where you're at and bring you, into, bring you into something bigger that you can contribute to that isn't necessarily about you. And so if you're building your own kingdom, leadership, like other people's leadership over you is a really tough sell. But if we're about the business of building God's kingdom, if we're saying, oh my goodness, the, the number one thing that I need to do in my life is to eradicate myself of my my selfishness and my pride and my sin so that I can be part of God's kingdom eternally and I can be empowered by his spirit to build it now here on earth with him. Like Wow, I need all the leadership help I can get because that's a tall task I can't accomplish on my own. I can't be set free from my sin on my own. I need Jesus for that. I can't participate in the movement of the church without being part of one, like it, there, it depends whose kingdom you're building. So, uh, the question is, like, do we even need leaders? I, I would say it really depends on on what your heart's desire is. I think, uh, 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 I think that God would long to be in partnership with us in building His kingdom, and we just need leaders for that. We need Him for it. We can't do it on our own. And it's really, really good news. So uh, I think what, what happens a lot of the time is when, when it comes to submission is we say, I'll submit to God and I'll submit to his, his, his plans and purposes. But why do we need earthly leadership? Why do we need to have like broken men and women lead us? Why do we need to submit to them? Is that really all that important? Uh, I want to read Hebrews twelve seventeen. The Bible seems to think it's pretty important. Sorry, Hebrews 13, 17 says this. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So this is awkward. Submit to their authority. The Bible seems pretty comfortable in asking, uh, 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 God seems pretty comfortable in asking humans to submit to other humans that God's installed. Uh, it happens all the time in the Old Testament. It happens all the time in the church. And this is awkward. Uh, it's awkward. The primary reason it's awkward is that people are imperfect and they hurt us all the time, especially when we've given them a position of authority in our life. Maybe you've trusted someone that hasn't used that trust for your benefit. It happens all the time. There's messed up leaders in the church. I know I'm messed up. I know my, my motives are mixed all the time. Uh, there's really great reasons to mistrust human leadership. <laughs> like, really great ones. Perhaps you even have a story attached to it. Maybe it's, there's so many stories of hurt in the church. There's stories of hurt in nuclear families. There's stories of hurt even by our government in the way we feel like we've been treated, perhaps by them or some institution we're a part of. There's a million reasons to mistrust uh, human authority. So, then what's the point? What's the point of following an imperfect leader? Well, it kind of comes back to this third idea of his highlights whose kingdom you're building. Um, if we're about building God's kingdom and that becomes the cry of our hearts, uh, we're desperate for any kind of leadership we can get. I think following imperfect leaders speaks to our desperation for God's kingdom. I don't think... The Bible doesn't promise that we're going to have perfect church leaders, that we're going to be able to follow... Ideal people, uh, and it would be a really long time until we waited for a perfect leader to show up. It'd be a really long time. Maybe you're waiting for a perfect leader. You should probably find a different church if you're watching this service and you consider yourself a part of ours. It's going to be a while, and so, so then what's the point? What? Why? Why do we need to follow imperfect leaders? Well, uh, at least for me, I, I feel as though my heart's been gripped by a desperation, f- to to grow in intimacy with Christ, to see his kingdom be advanced on this earth. And I am so grateful for anyone who would help me be part of that glorious, infinitely important mission and infinitely beneficial to me. Anyone who would uh, keep watch over me as someone who must give an account If someone's willing to do that, I just, please, I'll take whatever I can get. Now, of course, there's a ditch to this. And we don't follow people who are abusive and selfish. And we don't follow people. Like, please don't hear what I'm not saying. Obviously, there's people who don't deserve to be, you know, given a position of authority over our lives. I'm not saying that. But by and large, the people who try to serve us and the people who are leading that small group you go to, the people who are leading that church you go to, there's a good chance. I mean, I, I, I can't speak for everybody, but I, I get to rub shoulders with a lot of amazing, beautiful people, at least in our church. We call them D-group leaders and community leaders and the other pastors in our church and all the different staff. People are lying awake at night trying to figure out how to serve and love everybody here. <laughs> like it's just, we're sometimes we're pulling our hair out. I'm not, it's all gone. But we're just trying to, how do we love these people? How do we do what's best for them? How do we how do we lead them into the plans and purposes of God? How do we help them crucify their flesh so that Jesus can dwell with them more? So that Like, this is what we think and talk about. And for sure, we're not perfect. And man, we make a whole bunch of mistakes. But uh, there is a bunch of people who are really trying to keep watch. And that's a big job description. Like it says, keep watch uh, as those who must give an account, like being given a position of leadership where you're like, where God calls you to love someone for their benefit. That's a big job description. And God, God holds leaders like that accountable to it. Like, did you love them? I gave you, I gave you some sheep. You know, I gave you some sheep who needed guiding. Did you love them? Did you feed my sheep, as Jesus said to Peter? Did you feed them? It's it's the job description. It's the most important thing. It's the the job that Jesus entrusts us with such great reverence. He says, feed my sheep, love my people, build my church. I'm going to give you that authority to do that in my name. Wow. And I'm going to hold you accountable to it because it's the most precious thing. These are my sheep we're talking about here. So as you know whether you find yourself a leader or whether you find yourself as a sheep, we're all both. Uh, if, you, if you're if you're if you're wrestling with whether you want to trust a leader or let them speak into your life, uh, I would ask you instead of to judge them and how well they're doing, ask yourself what you're desperate for. If you're desperate to build your own kingdom, there's a good chance that person is going to let you down. Not that they will; they'll for sure let you down. Because they've got lots to worry about. And I hope that they want to lead you in a biblical sense towards the cross and towards resurrection. And I don't know, that's not where my flesh takes me. That's not where my kingdom takes me. My kingdom wants to climb a linear path to success. My kingdom doesn't want to go through a valley of death and resurrection. But if, uh, I think I can say if you're following one of the leaders in our church, they're gonna to want to lead you through a path of death and resurrection, and it's gonna be uncomfortable. But we're gonna find Jesus together. And it's gonna to be great, but that takes a lot of humility. So whose kingdom are you building? Uh, I, you know, I, was, I made a little joke here in my notes where, you know, I would love—I don't know if I really mean this—but like last year we had a pastoral appreciation, and I, all the pastors in our church got uh, all these amazingly beautifully written cards. Just like so touching, it was hard to read them because you're choking up, and you're like, oh, I don't feel worthy of any of this. And uh, well, what I'd love to get in one of those cards one day, and maybe now I'll, you know, get a card like this because I said it out loud. But I would love to say, you, you're better than nothing, Pastor Jonathan. <laughs> you know what? You're better than nothing, and it might be a little insulting, but there's actually be something really beautiful about that statement. It's like, look, I know you're not perfect. I know you're not perfect, you know, community group leader, D group leader but you're better than nothing because I know you care about me and I know you have my best interest at heart and I'm not holding you accountable to your performance. I need an opportunity to humble myself before people that aren't perfect because it shows where my heart's at and it shows what I'm shooting for. Submitting to human leadership highlights what's going on in your heart and whose kingdom kingdom you're building like nothing else because you can always blame people for not being great enough at building yours, but if we're building his... And we're doing something together, and and the and the grinding and, and 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 uncomfortability of being together and trying to figure out how to have a church that multiplies disciples that has leaders who care about followers and all that stuff. Like, that's how we grow, but we're not going to do that unless we're desperate for His kingdom and we'll, and if we just want to fall in love with Him and go closer to Him and have our pride die more and more. So that's what I long for. There's a uh, if people ask me. Um, Okay, there's one way that I feel like if someone asked me to assess someone's character, if I could ask them one question um, to get to know somebody. I don't think I've ever done this, but but if someone's like, you get to ask someone one question to get to know who they are. I don't know. I haven't really thought enough about this, but I, I think the question that I would want to ask them is, who are you following? Are you following anybody? Because... Uh, I trust people who aren't building their own kingdom. Uh, I, I'm way quicker to give my heart away to people and, 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 know who they really are. If I know that they're about my father's business, I'm like, Oh, let's go do that together. Like that's what I'm doing too. It's not to say we don't love people who aren't doing that, obviously, but, uh, who somebody is following and whether they're joined a thing, has their heart joined something, are they submitted to anyone or anything? Do they trust anybody? Do they give their hearts away? That's a great thing. That's one of the things I want to know about people most because it speaks to where they're going and what they're doing. Man, someone who follows an imperfect leader, I'm just like, "Wow, why would you do that? You must be about the father's business because you, there's no way that's for sure not about you because I that leader looks pretty broken, I'm speaking about myself. <laughs> Anybody that ever, you know, has any allegiance to me whatsoever as a leader, I'm always just like, wow, you really must want to build God's kingdom because there's no way I'm going to be able to lead you into, you know, any selfish ambition for your life. I'm going to fall way short of that. That's for sure. I'm not a good enough leader. So there's two extremes that we can fall into here just for the sake of making sure we don't say something dangerous here is there are there is two extremes and one is blind obedience to human leadership. This would be like a uh, uh, Well, I'll say both first. Um, One extreme is blind obedience and the other would be just suspicious resistance. So blind obedience is I'm just gonna do what I'm told. Suspicious resistance is prove yourself before I give my heart away to you. Like be better and come up with a better plan which, of course, never happens, and uh, be more integrous and be more trustworthy and say the thing again, and I really want to make sure your heart's good, and, which, of course, never quite happens. So we have blind obedience on one side and suspicious resistance on the other. Here's what's ironic about both of those is what they're both doing is inv- avoiding humility and engagement uh, in, at the heart level. They're both avoiding relationship. So in the blind obedience, this would be like a boss. This would be like a, tell me what to do. I'm going to clock in and clock out. Uh, I don't I don't really want to join this mission of yours you know I don't really care about this company so to speak to use the boss example but I'll show up I'll do my thing we'll have this transactional relationship it'll keep you off my back and I'll get something out of it too In the boss example would be a paycheck maybe in a church example it's like well we got some friends and I you know whatever there's some sort of return on your like I'll do whatever you ask me to do sure And the suspicious resistance, that's more like a politician, perhaps, in our culture, where it's like, I'm never really going to trust you and give you my heart. I might throw a vote your way every now and again, but I'm not going to follow you. Like, you're for for sure too corrupt for that. I'm not going to be a diehard, you know, name the party, because you are messed up and untrustworthy. And so I'm going to reserve my actual submission to you and my actual trust of you and my relationship with you because you haven't proven yourself and of course a politician never will. But here's our, what's ironic about both the boss and the politician and our stances to those people is that what's missing in both of those cases is is a willingness to be together and to be in relationship and to work something through. Both of those relationships are hierarchical. Both of those relationships is your superior, so to speak. And I think we are really terrible at knowing how to have relationships with superiors. Knowing how to engage in a relationship. Knowing how to not just fall into do what I'm told or I'm never giving you my heart. But instead, I think a longing of any leader would be to engage in the wrestle of where are we going? What are we doing? How can I help? How can you help me? Like, let's build something together. Let's go somewhere. Let's build a country that's good. Let's build a company that's successful. Like, there's a mission going on in both of those hierarchical relationships that you know, any good country or business has employees, so to speak, that buy into something bigger, which is, which is a beautiful thing. And it doesn't, and then the boss and the hierarchy and the politicians, they all just get to serve their, their, the people that they get to serve who are underneath their leadership. Like it's beautiful. We all, leadership is great when it's noble. And when there's, uh, when there's a common vision and relationship and togetherness, it's a wonderful thing. So, um, uh, I would say that somebody really only has authority over you and you've only really been submitted to someone when they have your heart. Like when you've given your heart to someone and you said look I know you're not perfect but like let's do this. Like I know you're not, you're not gonna come up with the best plan but like I'm here and, and I'm with you and that's that's a beautiful moment in discipleship because here's what I think is really going on as leaders I hope, I hope in our church, leaders are helping us engage in relationships that have hierarchy built into them because our relationship with God for sure has some hierarchy built into it Jesus is not it, it, Jesus is the most interested in relationship with you and building something with you and he doesn't share his kingship thank goodness so perhaps we perhaps We have an opportunity in this messy thing called church to learn how to have humility be the substructure of everything so that when Christ returns as king, we have a a concept for what it means to be in relationship with authority, to have our hearts be in a place that's like, I long to be to change, and I long to move forward, and I long to be, I long for love to be the motivation of my heart. And this is what I think where I think God is going. So I would ask you, do you have mentors? Do you have leaders? Do you have people who you're learning how to be led by, how to trust? Not in the blind obedient sense, but also not in the suspicious resistance sense. In that let's do this together. And I think what happens in that, the refining of that is so good for our flesh. Or it's bad for our flesh, I should say. It crucifies it. It kills it. And we learn how to, ultimately, we learn how to submit to Christ and his leadership in our life. The judges in Judges were extension of God's, like, compassion on his people. It says God had God had pity on those he loved so much in Israel in their rebellion that he sent them leaders that they could learn how to taste of his good leadership and his good plans for them as a people. And I think that's why God's given us this beautiful thing called the church. So we get to wrestle through what's actually his character and his extension of love towards you. So to wrap up I want to read another Hebrews thirteen, it's Hebrews thirteen seven. It says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. This is what we get to do. We get to have hierarchy is such a gross word these days but when I read this I'm like consider the outcome of their way of life look people have gone before you look at the fruit in their life and now imitate that what an unbelievable gift if you want to be part of God's mission and kingdom you've got an example you've got people that might even be more than an example they might even help you and coach you and love you and lead you and call you on Tuesday night and see how you're doing Like, this is unbelievable and then we get to imitate that so I think if we imitate the faith of our leaders, we'll become one immediately. Uh, so a lot of people count themselves out of leadership because uh, leadership's kind of a scary word. <sighs> well, maybe I'll demystify it for you this morning. I think leaders are just great followers. That's all I think they are. If you're a good leader, it means you've learned how to be a great follower. Uh, perhaps there are leaders who haven't followed... And uh, I think that gets them into trouble. It would get me into trouble, I think. But uh, here's what, here's what uh, I think healthy leadership looks like, is uh, a healthy leader is submitted to Christ and to other people. They're part of something bigger than themselves. They let people speak into their lives. They imitate other people's faith. And I think that kind of heart disposition just ends up being followed because I think that's the way God works. So if you say, I'm not a leader... I would ask you, can you follow? Can you follow someone? Because I think God would take your humility in your followership and he would, he would take the beauty of that heart and he would magnify it. He would take the beauty of a heart that goes, oh, I want to join and I want to be part of the flock and I want to be refined and I want to grow closer to Jesus and others. I think he takes the beauty of that and he goes, ooh, I want to put that on display. Here, I'm going to give you some people. I want them to imitate you because that's beautiful. I want them to imitate your heart for me. I want them to imitate your desperation for my kingdom. Congratulations, you're a leader, and it has nothing to do with your personality type. It has to do with your humility. So, Father, I pray that you uh, you would raise up mighty leaders in our city and in our church who aren't perfect, but they're desperate for your kingdom and they're not, they're not afraid of people. They're not afraid of leaving because they know that all they're doing is pointing people to you. God, I pray that you would protect our community as we learn how to trust one another. God, I just pray against sin and selfishness and all the things that are so quick to dash trust. And we say, I pray that you would make us an integrous people who, who are pursuing your heart. Thank you for how much your mercy and grace and forgiveness covers our sins. Thank you that it's just what, what the whole church is built on, mercy for one another. Thank you for how that highlights how much mercy you have for us. And God, I pray that we wouldn't be afraid of submission. I pray that, I pray that we wouldn't, our hearts would be willing to be led, not because our leaders are worthy of it, but because you are worthy of it, and you are worthy of, of, of pursuing. And I thank you that you give us all of these amazing ways to follow you. Thank you that you're the one who keeps us safe. You're the one who ultimately brings justice. You're the one who ultimately forgives. And I pray that we would be reminded of that now. In Jesus' name, amen.